0: Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show, the show where a summer breeze has the essence of coffee, sweat, and pipe tobacco. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit, here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. It is uh, July and things are heating up here in the south. And in this week's show, in pipe parts, well, by request, I'm going to uh, start going through the seven questions for the seven experts. Uh, I'm going to give you, I'm not going to summarize what they said, I'm going to give you my opinion. And remember, I'm the leading expert on my own opinion. Yes, I still believe that. Uh, And then my guest is a uh, pipe smoker and pipe collector, John Semmel, who uh, John's uh, spent a lot of time in his travels meeting pipe makers and hanging out with pipe makers, so it was a lot of fun to talk to him and uh, just a fascinating history. So... You get to meet John. Then we'll have uh, music, mailbag, and a rant. All that coming up. Well, not a rant, a rave. Uh, But all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, just so that you all are aware, uh, the Food for Thought shows will uh, have ended. Um, and again those were it was just a short run 14 or 15 weeks of shows that were meant to maybe introduce you to a brand new idea or a different topic you know completely off pipes and tobaccos and just something yeah something for you to think about and something for you to look into so if you haven't listened to them and you want to go back they're still all available and they'll stay up and posted for a you know for as long as we can uh, keep the internet going so Again, no more food for thoughts. Uh, just back to one show a week for you, and uh, just one show a week of me hanging out with uh, pipe smokers. Um, would appreciate if you get a chance, go over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. And again, if you're in a uh, foreign country, non-U.S., please uh, leave a rating or review on uh, Apple Podcasts for us. And then if you could also screenshot and email those to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, because I can't see them. And I would love to read them here on the show. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And again over the next, I don't know, seven, ten weeks. I'll I'll try to break these up a little bit so that they're not all just back to back to back to back to back. Um I'm gonna go back over what I think my answers are to the seven questions for the seven experts. Um and and again this is gonna be a lot of my own opinion but this opinion comes from you know years of handling pipes, buying pipes Importing, retailing, and so on and so on. So here we go. Uh, The first question: You know, can you detect if a pipe has been oil cured, and is that a deal breaker? You know, and and do you prefer that? So I very rarely, again, very rarely buy brand new pipes, um, but I do know of some of the brand new pipes that I have bought from uh, pipe companies and pipe makers that are oil cured and I will agree that I think oil curing helps with you know the first couple of bowls but I don't think it really helps that much afterwards I think oil curing in a virgin lined in an unlined bowl helps a lot with the taste but again if a bowl coating is put in I'm not sure it really helps much um, what I think oil curing does, and again, this is just from my experience of talking to pipe manufacturers, pipe makers, and so on. I think oil curing helps with the uh, with the briar, with speeding up the briar curing, uh, making the block of briar a little more uh, a little more tolerable, or, or you know, helping to helping to dry it out and helping to get it to a uh, a nice dry status. I think the Dunhill company liked oil curing pipes because I think at the same time that uh with a with the sandblasted, yeah, you know, the the Dunhill shell briars were classically considered uh they were bought for that material, they were bought to be sandblasted and I think it also probably softened up the wood and made the sandblast a little more interesting. And lightened up the wood to make the pipe a little more comfortable Um, I think the other thing that happens in oil curing or the curing of the briar is that if there's a fault in the pipe in the block it may show itself then so it's a way of kind of pre-testing the block Um, and making sure that the block is a good block before it goes on further to work with because i would imagine if you take the block and put it in a boiling liquid that if there are any air pockets in there or any problems with it that are towards the surface they may show themselves Um, if it's further inside the block i doubt it's going to show itself but again it does uh, you know it may help um, I think there is a couple of pipe makers or pipe factories that once they phrase the bowl or get the basic shape and then they drill it a little bit, they may go ahead and do a little oil curing on it then to get those open uh, those open parts on the inside get even more sap and more impurities out of the block. Uh, but again, I think that's just because, you know, one, they might be. They want to make sure that they're that they're getting the purest smoke quality to you as possible. Uh, and I want, and they want to make sure that you know, maybe if there is an issue in there, it may show itself. I can't confirm that last part, but it makes sense to me. Um, is oil curing? You know, is it something that I look for? No. Uh, Is it something that I can detect in some of the estate pipes that I've bought? Nope, not really, because I know that uh, J.T. Cook oil cures, and I know some of my older Dunhills have been oil cured. Um, When you're buying an estate pipe, you're pretty much buying whatever that previous person has smoked in it. Uh, so if you're looking for a, a Bill Taylor era Ashton pipe or an Ashton, a current Ashton pipe, and it's been smoked already, you know, I don't think you're going to get the, uh, that nuttiness. And again, I think the minute you, uh, the minute you bowl coat the tobacco chamber, well, that kind of blocks off any of that woodiness from coming through because that, you know, that layer of bowl coating is there. So doesn't really bother me. doesn't affect me uh doesn't make me like one pipe over the other more or less uh but i think from a uh from a manufacturing standpoint you know it may make sense to do that uh unless you're able to buy and age the blocks of briar for a couple of years like some of uh like some of the pipe makers that i've talked to that have had blocks sitting around for 10 15 20 years now um, and some of the pipe factories that I've talked to that some of them will buy stocks and stocks of briar and, you know, they just hold on to it and run it through its own curing process. So there you go. There's my thoughts on, uh, on uh, oil on oil curing. And again, it's just my opinion. And in just a moment, my conversation with John Semmel.
1: This is Internet Radio. I'm Jeremy Reeves head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenet's Cake, Joie de Vive, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deals Cellar Series, the secret ingredient, is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information
0: we're back on the pipes magazine radio show and joining me is a pipe smoker pipe collector tobacco collector somebody john i'm sure our paths have crossed in the past i just don't know where and when but you were uh, uh your name was brought to my attention by uh jeff Graysick because of your uh, vast history with pipes and tobaccos. So John Semmel, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you, Brian. All right. So let's go back and let's get your superhero origin story. Um, How did you get started smoking a pipe?
2: Well, I I started out with cigars um, through high school and and then through college. And I was on a, my first plane ride ever, I was flying to Rome for, to, for a semester abroad to study because I had been a Greek and Latin um, concentrator for about 10 years up to that point. Wow. And, and I, met, um, I met someone on the plane who was sitting right next to me, and we got to talking, and we became quick friends. He invited me over to his house, and um, I brought some cigars with me because I, I wanted to come fully equipped. I had no idea what would be in store for me in Rome, what would be available. So I shared some cigars, and I saw he had a beautiful pipe rack, and he had just these beautiful pipes. Later, I learned that they were high-grade Ilchepos and some Dunhills, and and I, I was just became very enamored with it. He said, "Well, why don't we go to a pipe shop in Rome?" So, a couple months later, from that point, you know, Italian time, uh, <laughs> there was a it was a weekend where they had the strange. Um, Uh, legislation going on to try to reduce the number of cars on on, on the road and emissions. So if your license plate ended in an even number, you could drive Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if it was an odd number, it was Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And Sunday, you didn't get to go out, I guess. I don't remember what the plan was. But it was a Saturday, and his license plate was the wrong number, so we had to take his moped. (laughs) So I got on the back of his moped, and he went zipping through the streets, and I was white-knuckling it all the way to the smoke shop. Mm -hmm. And I got out of the small shop. It was Becker and Musico. And I walked into the shop and it was just it was it was just the as this most amazingly blinding experience. I, I, I think Handel's Messiah must have started playing <laughs> overhead when I walked in the door. It was just amazing. It was so beautifully arrayed. These marble floors, these beautiful glass cabinets, a leather couch, and just people sitting around easily and talking. And the pipes that they had the shop were really beautiful. They had high-end, at that time, this was in, in 1991, it was high-end Sir Jacopo's and some Baldos, and they had uh, uh, some Beckers and and uh, a whole array of Costello and some other things, and it wasn't transactional, so I met Giorgio Musico, and I met Paolo Becker, and they were the first two people to actually fit me out with a pipe, and they knew my friend, and so my friend just started easily talking with them, and Giorgio came over to me and asked me if I was interested in pipes, and if I'd ever smoked a pipe, and I said no, but I'd love to, and I looked at the cabinet, and I saw some that I thought were really pretty. And then when I saw the price tag, I knew that it was several orders of magnitude, higher than anything that I could afford. And Giorgio gently um, uh, directed me towards the the basket of seconds where I, I picked out with his assistance the Savinelli Deluxe Billiard and a Brevia Horn, both of which I still have. And the Brevia Horn has so many fills in it. <laughs> that it literally, it looks almost like a uh, like a collage because the, the parts that are actually briar have darkened very nicely and the fills have it. So there are all these really bright red <laughs> marks all over it. Like, but I remember looking at the price of that and I think that the total was around $70, which um, at the time I was a dirt poor student. So that was my weekend food money. And I sat down on the couch and he showed me carefully and meticulously how to pack a pipe and he packed it for me. And the first thing he put in was what his favorite blend was, was Markovic uh, black and white. Oh, boy. So I'm sitting on this couch with my friend who's about eight years older than I am, and Giorgio and Paolo, and a couple other folks who are just kind of milling around the shop. And I just it was just such a sublime experience, and I, was, I, I think I had such a, 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 a deep and profound um, uh, uh, impact from the tobacco that I was sunken into the couch after about 45 minutes of huffing on the black and white Markovich blend. Yeah. And then my friend told me it was time to go. And on the back of that moped, I was barely hanging on, waving to people with the pipe hanging out of my mouth, still billowing smoke, which probably wasn't good for <laughs> it, but I'll tell you, I was certainly relaxed.
0: <laughs> wow. Uh,
2: and that was so that was my first pipe experience. And and Giorgio actually sold the pipes to Lee Van Cleef for the spaghetti westerns. <laughs> I used got to manage go ahead I'm sorry Brian
0: I, I gotta tell you in over 400 episodes of doing this show that is the best first pipe ever story that I've heard
2: <laughs> well thank you <laughs> but I learned I got very lucky because the, the, the Giorgio used to manage a shop of just north of Rome called Conamignani and that was a very famous store and they used to get all kinds of famous people in there and young Lee Van Cleef came in and said he's doing this spaghetti western so there's an American actor um he's doing the italian westerns with leone and and there's an american actor who smokes these toscanis cut in half which are italian cigars yeah and he said you know i need something so giorgio looked at him and said okay and and outfit him for a pipe that that he thought would be appropriate and you know over the years i guess when carmignani shut down and i actually was in the shop at one point in becker and musico where, where Johnny Caramignani came in and I have a picture with all of us together, which was a lot of fun, but then Giorgio and Paolo opened the, or I guess it was Paolo's father, um, Fritz. So, so Giorgio and Fritz opened the shop and then Paolo came to the shop, um, and started making pipes. And, um, over the summers when I would I would come over to house sit for my friend who would take him his family to the countryside and he wanted somebody like as a guard dog in his apartment so he would give me the keys and say, Here it's you know for two weeks, you know, have that. And I would go to Becker Musico every day. And there were lots of people that would walk in and I would help translate. And I remember there was this there's this really huge man who was uh, on the Italian rugby team, and he was you know, monstrously large. And he had very few teeth, which was always very confusing for me because somehow he was still able to clench the pipe in spite of the fact that he was missing so many teeth. <laughs> and he asked me if I wanted to play chess. And, you know, I, I'm, I was a reasonably good player. And apparently he wasn't. So I agreed, not knowing that was the case. And we started playing and he became very agitated as he began to lose. And I had the flashback to Star Wars at that moment, you know, let the Wookiee win. And I thought, you know, I'm in a pipe shop. It's calm. It's relaxing. You know, I'm going to let the Wookiee win here. And, you know, his humor completely changed completely once he started to do better and everything was fine. Who
0: who says you can't learn anything from Star Wars?
2: Uh, You know, you're absolutely right. I keep telling my wife that uh, the one reason why I watch so many movies is because of the lessons that I learned. But uh, she still doesn't believe me.
0: Now since then has has pipe smoking been an everyday thing for you or is it more kind of a weekend thing?
2: Um for me it's it's really is a leisure activity. So unlike unlike cigarettes for example which I never really cared for, you need time and I'll call it space. Yeah. Not physical space but just the mental and emotional space. It's very meditative to puff on it. It's ritualistic as you're you're tamping and you're lighting and you're tapping the ash out and you're doing whatever you need to do so if i'm not in the right frame of mind or i don't have the that that kind of space as i call it i i won't do it i would say you know a few times a week sometimes more when Mm -hmm. the weather's nicer so i can be outside i never really smoke indoors as i said to my wife i take my dog and my
0: pipe for a walk (laughs) (laughs) and and whatever falls out of each one you clean up behind him
2: more or less, but one is easier to clean up than the other. Yeah.
0: yeah. So when did, so you're, so you're in Rome and then when you come back to the States, did you, did you start looking into pipes and, and going to pipe shops?
2: Uh, certainly. And, and it so happened that my, my, my dearest friend from, from childhood, uh, he had gotten into his father's pipes, which his father had left him. And so the two of us together it was, the timing was perfect for the both of us to indulge in this. And so we started going to tobacco shops and sampling tobaccos, and we're always mystified at how expensive they were because, for us, again at that time, we didn't really understand what the difference was in quality. Yeah, uh, beyond a certain point, and obviously that became much more apparent to me later on. So we we would you know sit around and and watch movies or whatever we did as. as this college knuckleheads, um, but always with our pipes and, and tobacco. And,
0: <laughs> and, and just hanging out and looking really smart with your pipes. So we
2: thought, but actually we, you know, we, we, we didn't have egos and that's not really who we were. So we didn't really care. Um, so from that standpoint, most of our smoking at that time was usually over at his house indoors. So it wasn't as if anyone was going to see us anyway, but I'll tell you, it was, it was the discovery of, of what happened when you smoked too much aromatic tobacco for too long that 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 everlasting tongue bite <laughs> that that certainly almost put us both off from doing it <laughs> because we didn't understand the concept of resting the pipe or resting your mouth
0: oh, slow, slow smoking was not an art you were practicing
2: uh, no, in fact, I, I don't think we, we knew those two words could be put together. <laughs>
0: we're going to take a break right here when we come back we'll talk more with john so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute
3: a savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations for over 150 years savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be
0: one Savinelli. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with pipe collector John Semmel. All right, so I know... uh, before we started recording, you know, we you were talking about some of the some of the pipe carvers that you've gone and visited. Um, when at what point do you get out of the uh, out of what I guess I would call the factory pipes or the pipes that you'd readily find available at, at a tobacconist? And do you when do you start finding these hand carved and artisan pipes?
2: So uh, I started in ninety one. Uh, as a, as a smoker I became a collector over time and I, I knew Paolo Becker personally and so I, I collected uh, his pipes because I, I really enjoyed and had the personal connection to him which was very meaningful to me and yeah. I think it was around 2014 2013 2014 when I was introduced to the artisan pipes because I really wasn't wasn't aware of the big difference I I'd, I'd been a, primarily a Dunhill collector and when I told someone who was a friend of mine, I had Larson's and Dunhill's, and he saw how many I had, and he looked at my collection, he said, oh, you have a lumberyard. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah, you made a lumberyard. I said, I don't understand. What are you talking about? He said, you have all this wood, and and it's all the same. How many How many 3103s do you have? Because that was my favorite shape, three one one oh and three one oh three the billiard and the low bat. I said, I don't know, you know. He opened the drawer, he started, you know, he started chastising me. He said, look how many you have. You have twenty of them. <laughs> how many of them have you smoked? I said, I don't know, four or five. He said, Exactly, you are a lumber yard. What are you doing? And he started to introduce me to artisan pipes. And I started by, and primarily by introducing me to them. So I met Jeff and I met Alex Florov. And I really enjoyed having the personal connection because for me, the journey is about the people and the pipes are a vehicle to those friendships. Uh. And so I really wanted to understand more too about the Danish school because I love the designs and and obviously they're a very different price point. And I, I wanted to understand why they were considered to be that echelon, why they commanded those kinds of prices so I made a few phone calls, and wound up visiting Denmark um, over at the at the Danish pipe shop. I'd done some business with them, and I got to know Nick a little bit. And I said, Nick, I'd like mm-hmm. to come over and visit. And he was so wonderfully gracious and said, You know what? I'll take you around. It would be a pleasure, you know, to have a visitor. And we've we've, we've been very dear friends. And I, whenever I'm there, I spend a lot of time at his at his house having meals and and, and hanging out. And for me, the first thing I wanted to understand was visiting pipe makers, I'd visited former, and, and Tawny, and, and Yes, um, and Tom, and, and Nana, who all of whom have, have become friends, is to understand what does it take to get your stamp? Mm-hmm. So the first time I went to Yes's, Yes's house, and it was just one of the most remarkable experiences I ever had, I sat in his kitchen with him for about 12 hours. We drank coffee, we, we smoked pipes, we talked about pipes for a little while, and the rest of it was just life. Yeah. and and his stories and just such an uh, a wonderfully gracious and gentle soul with a, with great creativity and 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 so hospitable and it was just such a wonderful evening but we went into the workshop at one point and i said can you show me the pipes you didn't finish and tell me why and i'm looking through these pipes and i and of course given the price that they command he easily could have you know finished something even if he wasn't thrilled with it stuck a mouthpiece on it and sold it and he said, well, you know, I started that one, and I didn't like the line. So I put it down. Or the, the grain on this one is this is a tiny sand pit, I put it down. And even there was one which was so beautiful, and it, and it got a snowflake, which meant that it had a flaw in it. And I said, Alright, yes, I'm, I'm, you know, I put 2020 vision, can you show me on this where the flaw is? And he told me there was some tiny little hairline something on the shank. And he kept showing me where it was, and I didn't want to be impolite, But after a certain point, I said, "Yes, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't find it. <laughs> I know you're showing it to me, but I can't see it." And I would never <laughs> notice that it's there. And he looked at me and he said, "It doesn't matter. I know it's there."
0: Yeah. So that's the perfect answer to what makes uh, to the question of what makes a artisan pipe cost more than some of these factory pipes, where they'd push it, yeah, would they'd, they'd fix it or push it through.
2: Well, you know, there, there's, and I, oh, what I got to see also was behind that. That's absolutely right, Brian. But, but also behind that is factories will, will, will order tons of wood and mm-hmm. they'll try to find a way to use it all. Yeah. And so what I was taught was, you know, you have the burl and, and what they call the pear wood, which is the wood that's closest to the, the, the root in the middle, mm-hmm. the pear that runs through the burl. And the closer you get to that middle, the more dense the wood becomes, and the the less attractive it is from a grain standpoint, the less breathable it is, the less less qualities it has um, to make it into something that's a good pipe. But factories will want to use everything, and the artisans won't do that. They're very meticulous. I would go into their their sheds I want to see show me your blocks where do they come from? How do you age them? how long I I, I felt like I was I was <laughs> giving them the you know the, the, the interrogation, but they loved it because they were so excited that someone was interested and I remember sitting with former and he was just such a wealth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. and then he said to me, which I thought was just so much fun. He showed me the first pipe that his, his mom actually lit on fire, but it was the first pipe he ever made. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it, was in, it was inside of something that she was using to create a fire with, and unfortunately, it was terribly charred. But he said, you want to see me cut a pipe? I'll cut a pipe for you. What's your favorite shape? I said, a low bat. And just watching him work was so extraordinary. Because he, he, you know, he, he knew exactly what to do. He knew exactly the right sound. He knew exactly of you know, the machines. He knew exactly. It, it was, it was just amazing. But when you've done it, literally tens of thousands of times, right? It becomes rote.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I visited Tawny, and I remember Tawny. He was he, he was doing it freehand. He was standing on one side of the of the saw. And leaning over the saw, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to shape the bowl, where the saw was literally underneath his body as he was leaning over it and just shaping it by hand. And I, I thought that was extraordinary.
0: Yeah, I was I was at his house and saw him working on the uh, on the band saw, and there was no guides, no nothing. Just yeah, you know, he'd see a spot on the pipe and push on it, and the way it would go. <laughs> and-
2: yeah. It really just just remarkable and and seeing also this the inspiration and and going to you know Tanana's studio and seeing how meticulous she is and and how everything has to be she has to have that that that, that I guess for lack of a better term, it's like the magic mm-hmm. if the piece doesn't have the magic it gets put down if the inspiration isn't there it gets put down and then maybe it gets you know somehow returned to or not. But it has to have the magic and and so and even like sitting with tom I I, I I i have so much fun fond memories and fun time with tom and just watching him work and the joy that he gets out of doing what he does and especially that smile on his face when when it's perfect yeah when he's found that grain that he knows is going to be a snail and it's not because it has nothing to do with price or value or anything else it's i've made something that's going to be absolutely spectacular and you know, as I would say to him, we went out to dinner, and he said, okay, let, let's go back to the workshop and make some dust. And he <laughs> yep. just loves it. And the same, you know, with, with Jeff, I've, vis- I've had the opportunity to visit with Jeff quite a lot and to be in his workshop and to see, again, his inspiration, the shaping, the the selection of wood, uh, things that he's made prototypes for that you no know, people don't generally get to see because he's trying to perfect it. And I, I've been a collector of Jess pipes for years, and, you know, they're all numbered in, in my in my drawers. I have them lined up according to chronology so I can see his progression as a pipe maker in the various stages that he went through and how it's changed. And as I said to him, which I always find remarkable, as I say, every, every time I think you've reached the apex and can't get any better, somehow you do. And I don't know how you do that. So
0: I, got, because, I, want, I want to ask the question, because I don't think I've actually ever... Uh, i've I've been in a couple of pipe makers workshops and been there while they're kind of maybe just more show and telling for me how the how the stuff works but you've you've actually been there while they're working on pipes are there for you while you're there are there times when you're just quietly watching while they're working the machinery and then they stop and then there might be a discussion afterwards or is there a discussion going on during the whole thing or? I mean, how does that all work? It's an interesting question. You know, most of the time I'm hanging out
2: and, and, you know, they become friends. Like I would, I spend a lot of time over the years going to, to parent Ulf's workshop yeah. and we don't really talk about pipes. I always tell them, I said, listen, guys, you know, I, I, I walk my dog when I smoke, so I need something that's light. So can you please make smaller pipes at some point where I can get a hold <laughs> of something that isn't going to yeah. be like the Flintstones when they put the ribs on the side of the car, the Bronto <laughs> ribs at the end, and the car tips over? Yeah. Um, I need something smaller. And they'll laugh about it, and we have a good time. But we don't really talk that much about pipes. It's more about about things you talk about with your friends and the life experiences. And I might ask them a question or two, but I bring back the pipes with me that I've acquired from them because I want to have that experience encapsulated in the pipe. I want that energy in that pipe and that memory attached. So I remember I got a hold of uh, a pair billiard bamboo shank from 2001. I hadn't smoked it. And by the way, if you don't smoke the pipes that these folks make, they get really angry because they, tell you these things are designed to be used they're not furniture yeah and you need to use them so i i brought that back to the workshop and i handed it to Pear. and i said what do you think of this and he smiled and he said i haven't made anything with bamboo in over 15 years and then he he said i love it when my children come back to see me (laughs) and then his face grew dark and he said you haven't smoked this yet And I said, That's absolutely right. I brought it back here so the first bowl that I have in it is with you while I'm sitting in your shop with you. And 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 at that point everything was okay, and I diffused the situation. But part of the part of what makes these things kind of magical is the relationships because the memories and the relationships and everything, it all gets all that energy gets encapsulated in the pipe. So it it takes on a, a life. I remember where I was when I first used it. I remember the, the times where I was smoking where I was and, and where I got it and the whole story behind it. And, and therefore, it's not just who made it. It's, it's the friendships and the memories and the experiences that all get attached to the object that make that object magical.
0: And every little line and curve rem- reminds you of a different conversation or a different thought, and you and your hand just keeps running all over the pipe
2: that that that's exactly right and you know i i Dunhills are you know from machine made pipe' they're extraordinary pipes, but a three one oh three is a three one oh three and sure, there are no two pieces of Briar that are the same, but at a certain point there there's not that much there's no connection with the people behind it,
0: yeah. Yeah, you didn't get a chance to go watch Alfred make it for you.
2: Nope. (laughs) Now, (laughs) you people did, I suppose.
0: Before we wrap up, you've also you're you're kind of a you're a tobacco hoarder too. So, how long have you been at um, uh, collecting and hoarding tobacco?
2: Boy, you know it. it, (laughs) If you if I speak to another pipe smoker, they'll use the word collecting. If you ask my wife, she'll use the word hoarding. Yes, that's that's absolutely right. you know, it was probably about six or seven years ago that I first got introduced to vintage tobacco. Okay. And I got to see what happens when, I, I knew with cigars, like cigars age. Yeah. And you can tell because the, the wrapper, which is cellophane, develops a patina and you know that the that that the oils have matured. And, and I remember being in Shervington's in London, um, in 1993, and I asked them if I take this, you know, with me and I keep it in the bag, how long will it be good for? And you know, the man behind the counter in a very dry, um, tired English voice said to me, "Sir, tobacco never dies. <laughs> um, well, it does dry out, but yes, yeah. I suppose you're right. You can still use it, so it doesn't technically die." But I started seeing the impact, and I, I remember smoking the first piece that I ever had that was uh, uh, tobacco that I had that was that aged. Was an old tin of Orlick. From the Max War era, which was from 1980s. And it was the most delicious thing I've ever experienced. And the tobacco was rich and dark compared to when you open a tin now, which is still a fabulous tobacco, but the age on it was extraordinary. And when I started to experiment some more and, and see what the impact is, especially notably on Virginia when the sugars really start to come to the front, um, it's just so incredibly delicious. Uh, and then again, there, there's nothing that is more devastating than when you have an old tin. And you pick it up, and you hear a a maraca esque shake, yeah, and you know that the contents (laughs) are nothing more than dust.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know those those old square tins pop occasionally, and then uh, yeah, yeah. But so, are you? So you're actively still kind of collecting uh, pipe tobaccos uh, and different vintages, and uh, has your has your taste changed over the years?
2: You know. I think everybody goes through this right so the first the mm-hmm. first draw was aromatics yeah and those those wonderful vanilla cavendish girly cube cut stuff that burns the inside of your mouth and tastes like chocolate and vanilla and has a, an aroma that isn't um too off-putting then i moved on to english because i discovered latakia and that's exclusive what i smoked probably for a decade and then i got introduced to pure virginia's and and um aged virginia's and I, I, I would say 95% of the time it's Virginia and 5% of the time it's English Oriental.
0: Is there a different time of the year or a different season that triggers that change for you?
2: No, it's typically where, what time of day and, and probably what I've eaten. Um, <laughs> Cause I trying to smoke that a on empty stomach. I found is is, is not very good feeling,
0: <laughs> but, but you're, so, so the uh, so the evening walks with the dog might be a might be a Latakia blend, but the other ones definitely Virginia. Virginia's. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a, I mean How do you mind telling us how big your pipe collection has gotten now?
2: Oh boy, you know it's funny. Every every collector I always ask that they always say around two hundred and fifty. Yeah. That seems to be a magic number. So mine is around that.
0: And what does it take for a pipe to come for you to want to buy a pipe and add it to your collection now? Is 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 it tied back to again the the you know the memory with visiting a pipe maker?
2: No, you know what? And I tell this to the folks who I know who are friends, I said, you know there're kind of four categories. Category 1 is I need a pipe. Category 2 is I need a nice pipe. Category 3 is I made a really nice pipe. And category four is, wow, that's one of the nicest pipes I've ever made. And I tell the guys, I said, you know, I've got some ones and twos, but what I really want from you now are your threes and fours.
0: Okay. So you're, and, and, again, you want them in a, small, in a little bit lighter size, a little smaller. Yeah, on 150
2: the... grams or weighted in a way where in my mouth it will feel like, you know, between 40 and 45 maximum. The sweet spot is between 35 and 40.
0: Yeah, so you're, so you're refining your collection your, of pipes, and if it's got to be something more special than the other ones in order to come into it and and still fit that 50-gram level.
2: Yeah, and some go out. Yeah. Uh, and, and I have some heavier than that just because I love them and they're special, and I just know that, okay, this is a hand pipe that I'm only going to be smoking sitting down from outside somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, and there, there are things that go out because I don't use them anymore, and the way I look at it is, you know, the... The estate market is a great way for people to get introduced to to wonderful pipes at a, at a at a much lower price, and so if I'm helping, I'm I'm actually helping create liquidity for pipes in the market for people who might be interested, but either can't or don't want to pay the, the, the price tag for a brand new one of, of a particular maker. So I got my first Dunhill. The yeah. Wilkie Pipe Shop was leaving New York, and they were having a sale, and I there was a $150 Dunhill um, shell for 100 for a Group Five shell it was an estate and I really wanted it, but there was more than I could spend. And they turned to me and they said, look, the insurance to ship it back is going to be more than it's probably worth. So they sold it to me for uh, uh, $75. Uh, yeah. And I just thought, wow, I just hit the lotto because I couldn't, I shouldn't have even paid that relative to what my finances were at the time. But I, I love that pipe. And so um, doing that for other people. I think for things that I don't use anymore, it gives people an opportunity to to
0: to, uh, to accumulate those things to try them out, which is great. Well, those of us that buy estate pipes, we greatly appreciate you uh, putting those back out into the wild for us. And, uh, John, we'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure. What is your favorite pipe? I'm not
2: sure I have a favorite pipe. It changes.
0: And that could be the best answer possible. Uh, So we'll, we'll, we'll leave it with that. Um, what is your favorite tobacco? I,
2: I, I really have a Holy Trinity, which is uh, the, the original capstan blue, the Orlick uh, Maxor tins, and the Murray-era
0: um, What is your favorite drink?
2: Oh, we know what I'm smoking. I usually drink tea.
0: Any, any particular type of tea?
2: Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it black jazz, black tea uh, with a hint of jasmine, and, and I usually add a little bit of um, agave to it, which gives it a little bit of sweetness, but, but not overpowering, and I'll sip on that as I'm smoking my pipe.
0: Ooh, that sounds good. Um, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Movie. And then the final question is, and this is going to be the hardest one for you, do you have a particularly favorite pipe smoking-related memory?
2: that is a hard one you know it was probably the very first time when i was coming back from the that becker and musico on the, on the back of that moped yeah just... I, in that moment i just thought i can't believe it it's my first plane ride ever i'm here in rome i'm riding around on this moped with this pipe in my mouth zipping through the streets you know we're literally going through the streets it's going like history because there's no place in the world where you have a you know, a fourth century BC temple next to a 16th century church next to a 20th century pizza place. Right. (laughs) And, you know, I'm zipping around (laughs) with this pipe in my mouth and thinking this is the greatest experience I have ever had.
0: (laughs) John, I would love to have you come back on to, to spend more time talking about your, some of your stories with the pipe shops and the different pipe makers in the future, if you'd be willing to come back. 100%.
2: Hundred percent. I, I really enjoyed it, and and I hope other people do as well. And I hope that it it encourages people to stick with it or to try it out because uh, it's not just about the pipes and the tobacco. It's it's all the people, and and I like to refer to them as the tribe yeah. uh, that make the pipe smoking community special.
0: Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for visiting with me, and uh, yeah, we will we will definitely have you back.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you again for the time, Brian. My pleasure.
0: We'll be back in just a minute.
3: My name is Shane Ireland, and I'm the pipe manager at smokingpipes.com. It's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world. We take collecting seriously, so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers. When you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection, or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at 1-888-366-0345. And our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are SmokingPipes.com.
0: This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And again, yeah. so let me break down a little little bit here. Um, One of the... uh, You know, one of the true joys of this uh, quarantine time or uh, lack of travel time has been getting to know some pipe people a whole lot better, having real conversations with them on the phone because, you know, none of us are allowed to travel anywhere and uh, meeting and talking to John is just one of the, one of those highlights, Uh, just a lot of fun. And I can't wait to, you know, maybe one day cross paths and sit and have a sit and have a bowl with him. Um, all right, uh, for music for this week, we are going to uh, Ray LaMontagne, who has a new album. The album is called Mono Vision, and uh, it's released, uh, I think, about two or three weeks ago. Uh, anyway, the song that I picked is a song that's called I Was Born to Love You, and I picked it in particular because I just really enjoy the... Uh, I'm really enjoying the jazz guitar line that plays through it, so just check this out.
4: I for can make you smile can make you sing
0: you think uh that is ray la montagne new album mono vision and again i just that that little jazz guitar line that keeps running underneath there boy i wish i could play like that
1: mail call gather around everyone
0: and in the mailbag if you have a comment or question or suggestion or idea or you just want to say hi uh you can email me brian b-r-i-a-n at pipesmagazine.com or go to Facebook and post and uh, follow me there or Instagram and reach out to me there you know there's several hundred ways to uh get in contact with me uh best way best thing you can do is leave an iTunes rating and review just like uh just like my friend Dave in LAX did And that LAX stands for lacrosse although he doesn't spend much time there anymore he spends a lot of time in Arizona which I don't blame him uh Dave's Dave wrote in uh, on iTunes and said I enjoy the PM radio show I'm a longtime pipe collector who enjoys And can recommend this podcast Thank you very much Dave And I've uh, been chatting with him on the weekends Occasionally too uh, Let's see going back to Last week's show Dino writes An absolutely delightful Conversation with Mark uh, The Peterson pipe book is a masterpiece Of research scholarship And thanks to Maria, a gorgeously Illustrated must have book I was lucky enough to get the first signed copy at the Chicago show, and also won a copy of the Rathbone book in the quiz following a showing of the House of Fear. Uh, Mark is a fascinating and genial person to shoot the sh- with. As <laughs> I had that uh, and uh, Dino edited himself there, but uh, uh, as I've been happy to do with uh, at a few Chicago shows, uh, the music was quite entertaining with a powerful message. Best wishes for a successful auction and for those who don't participate in the auction, do as I do and make a cash donation to the JDRF. My best friend's son, like Brian's daughter, is a type 1 diabetic and it stands to reason the more funding for research, the better chances for a cure. And all I can say is uh, thank you, Dino. I agree. Uh, Casey Ghost says, great show. I really enjoyed the interview with uh, Mark Irwin. I wish I could have gotten a copy of his book. It would have it would have been tremendous. Uh, he also wrote some wonderful stuff for Al Pasha, uh, and I used his articles for Al Pasha and Peterson when I used to write the KC Club newsletter. Music was interesting. Diabetes is a son of a bitch. Yes, it is, and a daughter of a bitch. Um, and I can't go that way. Sorry. Uh, Let's see, uh, from uh, Pipes Magazine, uh, Scott sent sent this in. Brian, can you please explain the groupings terminology, Group 1, Group 3, etc.? I've been smoking a pipe for about three years and hear you and mostly Mike at Briar Blues mention these sizes. Is there a standard size set by Dunhill? Is it a uniform sizing guideline? Is it mostly for collectors? What is the benefit in speaking of these terms? Thanks much. Always look forward to each episode, Scott. Well, Scott, um, I think I, I've tried to tackle this in the past, and I can't remember how far back it was. But um, th- there is no, there's no set absolute standard set by Dunhill. Uh, Dunhill uses those grouping numbers to designate size, and the size of the pipe design- also affects the price of the pipe. So a group one shellbrier is less expensive than a group three and so on and so on all right the bigger you get the more it costs however I use and I think this is a pretty good standard um, I use the standard group four size to indicate a tobacco chamber that is three quarters of an inch wide by an inch and a half deep and that's kind of the what I would consider to be the middle of the range. Anything smaller than that exponentially becomes a group 3, and then a group 2, and then a group 1, or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Anything bigger than that goes the other way, 5 and 6. So by the time you get up to a group 6, I would think you're looking at a 7 eighths by maybe a 2-inch deep bowl. And again, those numbers have changed over time as Dunhill, you know, if you go back into the 40s and into the 30s, that Group 3 size was a bigger pipe than what it might be now. But again, that's just, you know, it's just a baseline. There is no actual number there. So... Scott I hope that helps and again it's not uh, it's not uniform and it's just a way of referencing an understandable basic size Uh, and then talking about big pipes uh, this goes back a while but I missed it and uh, Rich Esserman the big pipe guy says Brian I'm enjoying these experts show a lot although I can't understand why these guys do not like three-inch bowls Uh, your show, in my in my opinion, is important to the well-being and the hobby, and I hope you hit 1,000 and I'm around to hear it. Well, thank you very much, <laughs> Rich. And uh, Rich and I have gotten a chance to uh, chat a little bit more over the past couple of months, and that's been nice, too. So, All right, again, comments, questions, email me or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. Still, if you have any travel-related questions, reach out to me. Happy to do it. Uh, Before we finish up, JDRF auction items are now finally on their way to Steve. They will not be posted quite yet, I will let you know, but it's looking like it'll be uh, Saturday the 18th of July when the listings will go up on his Pipestud website and his Pipestud eBay store auctions. Uh, Got delayed because of a couple of issues. One of them was, uh, you know, some. Uh, the post office was a little slow in getting some stuff and so on and so on. So, again, nothing has been sold yet. Uh, if you want a hat, they're uh, $30, of which about 20 bucks so of that goes directly to the JDRF, and that's uh, shipped anywhere in the continental United States. Priority mail. Email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com, and I'll uh, get you one. All right, in just a moment, rave time.
1: There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com.
0: about hats and a little shout out to jj hat center uh, in uh, new york city uh so let's talk about hats for a moment all right the hat that uh, the little gray fedora that you've seen me photographed in when i travel and uh there's a couple of pictures i don't know i've had it for five years now or so anyway it's a hat that travels with me anywhere when, when anytime when we're going anywhere cold and that was bought at JJ Hat Center on a trip to New York City when, uh, in fact, I think I was there for a New York uh, for a New York pipe show and I went into Manhattan. Uh, this past uh, cruise, one of the things I wanted to buy while I was gone was a Panama hat. Well, it didn't work out, so when we got back, I started learning more and more and more about Panama hats. And I went to JJ Hat Center's website and I reminded myself of kevin at jj hat center's youtube page all i can suggest is if you're looking for a real good quality hat for warm weather or for cold weather go to jjhatcenter.com they are great people with great quality products not the you know they do have some of the cheaper stuff but when it comes to hats you absolutely get what you pay for and Kevin's YouTube page. Uh, Kevin's YouTube stuff is real good, real honest opinion, straightforward, not flashy edits or anything, just him talking about his 20 plus years experience of working at JJ Hat Center and talking about hats. Uh, Some of his current ones have some guitar playing in them, so you may want to skip past that or fast forward past it, but a lot of really good information in his YouTube and a lot of really good information on their website so if you're looking for a warm weather or cold weather hat i now have two fedora uh, two straw hats from jj and the fedora and i love both of them so Thank you to them all right uh, again comments questions email me Brian at pipes thank you to uh, John for joining me thank you all for tuning in and until next time
1: Bom-ba-dee-da. He's smiling on till then. Who cares
4: about the clouds when we're together Just ah. sing a song and think about sunny weather Happy trails Bom-ba-dee-da. Bom-ba-dee-da. to you Tell Bom-ba-dee-da. Again.
1: <laughs> okay, now let's hug these zombies. Let's all make up. Wow.